is the Annex, a sociology podcast. I'm Joseph Cohen from the City University of New York. Our guests today are John O'Brien from NYU Abu Dhabi. John is the author of Keeping It Halal, The Everyday Lives of Muslim American Teenage Boys. Netta Magbule from the University of Toronto. Netta is the author of the acclaimed Limits of Whiteness. And Iman Abdelhadi from the University of Chicago. Iman recently published the Hijab and Muslim Women's Employment in the United States in Research and Social Stratification and Mobility. Today, Hijabs and the Job Market. Our discussion was recorded on March 3rd, 2020. All right, we are here with Iman Abdelhadi, she's postdoc at the University of Chicago and recent author of the Hijab and Muslim Women's Employment in the United States, uh, recently released in Research in Social Stratification and Mobility. Welcome to the Annex, Iman. Thank you so much. And special guest host today, John O'Brien, NYU Abu Dhabi, author of the award-winning Keeping It Halal. Welcome back, John. Thank you very much. Great to be here. And today we are here to talk about the employment experience of Muslim women here in the United States, uh, based on Iman's uh, really interesting paper. Iman, do you want to set the stage? Tell us, like, what do we know about the challenges that Muslim women face on the job market in employment? Yeah, so a couple of ways to go about this. One is, across the world, Muslim women are less likely to work in paid employment than women of other faiths or no faith. Um, so that's sort of been a puzzle that has that a lot of people have taken up, um, but mostly in the international context, not in the United States. Um, so globally, there's sort of there there are two sort of competing theories. One is that in contexts where you see Muslims, uh, Muslim, where you see Muslim women as minorities, so like in Europe. Some folks see the employment gap between Muslim women and non-Muslim women as indicative of conservative gender ideology. So thinking, okay, these women are conservative. They think that they should be at home, um, you know, raising babies or taking care of the household. And so therefore they're um, staying out of the out of paid employment, out of the labor market in general. The other theory is that actually they're facing a lot of discrimination and that Muslim women are often the most visible Muslims um, because of the hijab. Um, and of course, not all Muslim women wear the hijab. Um, and of course, the the percentage of women who wear the hijab varies from context to context. Um, unfortunately, we don't have a lot of data, you know, on um, that's going to be on my tombstone, by the way. Didn't have the data. Um, but uh, yeah, so we don't have a lot of data. Oftentimes, you know, even when we have survey data that where we, we can find the Muslim women, um, we don't know how they dress, we don't know how visible they are, hmm. that sort of thing. Mm -hmm. So so um, there's been a lot of research both ways. And 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 to be perfectly um, honest, I'm firmly on the side of the discrimination material um, condition okay. story. And part of that is that actually I had a paper come out last year uh, with my uh, uh, advisor, Paula England, in the British Journal of Sociology, where we do uh, we, we use worldwide data using the World Values Survey. And we basically try to assess this theory that 
the gap between Muslim women and non-Muslim women is explained by gender ideology. So we throw in all the measures for gender ideology that you can think of. And really, that's the, that survey is known for having ideology measures. Like, it's mainly mm-hmm. a values survey. And no matter how we cut it, no matter how fancy the the, the um, methods get, um, and we do get fancy <laughs> with the models, um, we it doesn't explain the gap. So the gap is still there between Muslim women and non-Muslim women, um, but they're not not explained. The other thing is we we do this kind of this model called the hybrid model, and I won't get too much into it because nobody wants to hear about my models, and, and that's something I've just reconciled with. It makes me sad. I don't understand why people don't want to talk about regression all the time. I, I don't get yeah. it, but but uh yeah so so we have this model that helps us see whether the the difference is between country or within country so what that means is is it that muslim women um in contact is it that countries with more muslims have lower women's employment in Mm -hmm. general Mm -hmm. or is it that muslim women within their countries are less likely to work than other women okay Mm -hmm. um and what we find is that it's actually a within country effect that we're finding so muslim country countries that are more muslim aren't don't necessarily have lower women's employment than countries that are less Mm -hmm. muslim Hmm. so basically this paper is part of the sort of like strand of the literature that says well it's not it's not um ideology that's explaining this gap and the fact that it's within country differences that we're seeing suggests that there might be some kind of discrimination effect going on we don't know that we can't prove it don't you know um i don't come after me causality police please um but so that's sort of the that's sort of the background. Now in the U.S., um, there hasn't been a a lot of study of the hijab, but the studies that do exist have been qualitative for obvious reasons, right? It's the data are more available. Um, thankfully, there's this survey um, of Muslim Americans that happened in 2007 um, and 2011, and it was conducted by the Pew Research Center. And mm-hmm. that survey has a hijab question on it. So oh, what I do in this paper is basically, um, so Muslims are too small a part of the population to appear on big surveys like the general social survey, right? Like the general social survey on any given year has like 20 Muslims on it. Um, So it's hard to do like comparisons um, between Muslims and other groups. So what I do is I pull in GSS data, the general social survey. um, And because I'm looking at demographic variables, those tend to be recorded in almost the same exact way all over different surveys. So that's how I sort of set up the comparison in this, in this, in this uh, paper. So it is known, just to review, correct me if I'm wrong, it is known that Muslim women have less employment participation, and there is a question of whether or not it's elective or whether or not there are structural factors that prevent them from doing it, Yeah, from, from working. It's either they don't want to or people are icing them out. Yeah. And it's difficult to quantify. There's not a lot of data. And your tack in this was you were able to find a survey that allowed you to get a sense of who wears hijabs, Mm -hmm. 
and you leverage that information to probe at this very difficult question for which there's not a lot of information does the hijab matter or is, is it am i understanding this right sure yeah exactly i mean uh, in part i actually started it as at first it, it started out because i was just wondering okay do Muslim women actually systematically work less than other women in the U.S., which mm. is a context in which we had never had this like comparison, comparative question be asked. Mm-hmm. And, of course, within that, thinking about this other broader question that's that's been asked globally of, is this a supply or demand issue, right, um, in terms of labor? So, yeah, that's where we are. And so tell us, what did you find? Yeah. So the interesting thing is that what I found is that so the average Protestant or the the sort of probability, the predicted probability that a Protestant woman would work is about 70 percent. And if you look at all Muslim women, the predicted probability is 56 percent even okay. with controls. So initially you see, okay, there's a there's a gap there. Um, but if you separate the Muslim women out by whether or not they wear the hijab, you actually see that the women who don't wear the hijab, their predicted probability of employment is indistinguishable from that of Protestant women. So they're actually not significantly less hmm. likely to work. So already that's actually a, a, a very different from what we would expect globally, right? Based on the global story that I just told you, which yeah. that almost in every context where it's been measured, Muslim women work less, um, especially in Western contexts. And so that's already interesting. And but and then when you look at the difference between Muslim women who do wear the hijab and non-Muslim women, or Muslim women who don't wear it, there's actually a much bigger gap than initially expected. So their predicted probability is um, between 36 and 42 percent of working. So um, it's much, much lower. And so then the question becomes, okay, well, what explains this, right? Is it that they have that it is this idea of gender ideology? Is it possible that it's because they have sort of different life paths? So oftentimes women who aren't working, it's because either we know that groups of women who, for example, marry earlier are less likely to be in the labor force. Uh, Women with more children are less likely to be in the labor force. Uh, Education is associated with employment for women in general. Mm -hmm. So more educated women are more likely to work. So what I do next is I focus on the Muslim women and I sort of ask myself, okay, so if we know that Muslim women who don't wear the hijab are pretty much indistinguishable um, in their employment from other American women, uh, the question becomes, can we explain this gap using these other measures, whether it's gender ideology or marriage rates, having children, that kind of thing? And what I find is basically about a third of the gap is explained by um, mostly demographic things. So women who wear the hijab do tend to are more likely to be married than women who don't wear it. Um, they do have more children on average than women who, who don't wear it. And those things explain about a third of the gap. The interesting thing is religiosity and gender ideology don't have a lot, don't do a lot. They don't explain very much. So once you account for those things, yeah. they don't explain a lot of the difference um, the way that people might expect. And so then you have two thirds of the gap that are unexplained. And it is, as we said, it's a pretty big, big gap. Um, and so mm-hmm. that's where we that's where I think there might be a penalty on the uh, on the job market. That's where I think we might be seeing uh, the effect of discrimination. 
And were there any kind of discrimination measures or anything you could look at? That's a great question. There isn't a discrimination measure. It is true that women who feel more discriminated. So people are asked whether they feel discriminated against in, okay. in general or whether they experience discrimination. Yeah. And it is true that women wearing the hijab did feel more discriminated against. But mm -hmm. the measures were not that great because they're not specific to the job market. They're just general kind of like hostility. Right. And so, and they didn't, so they didn't do much in the analysis, like when I threw them in there, um, just, to, just to take a look. So I could see that there was a, there was definitely um, that women who wore the hijab felt more discrimination. Yeah. Um, but it's hard to actually relate it to job market outcomes. Yeah. What's your suspicion though? Like, uh, I know you, I, you're not supposed to, I guess, talk past what the data is. <laughs> oh, I'm, uh, oh, I'm way past caring about what I'm supposed to do. <laughs> I'm already pissed off the causality police probably like seven times. <laughs> um, oops. Um, no, I, I think my suspicion is that, my suspicion is that two things are going on, is that Muslim women who wear the hijab are, trying to get jobs and are not getting jobs because of straight up Islamophobia. And I, the, what confirms the suspicion for me is that there have been audit studies in the U S that have showed that visible signs of Muslimness result in much lower callbacks. Um, so that's, you know, where they, yeah. Um, mm -hmm. was sent in resumes or different photos of the applicants. I think the other thing is that it could be possible that people are not, um, people are, if they, if you're going into a career, People aren't born with a hijab, right? They, at some point in their life, decide to wear it. And so it's also possible that if you have a career orientation where you think that wearing the hijab is going to hurt you, you might choose not to wear it. Um, and that mm. would actually look the same way in the data, right? Can I ask a follow-up question about that? I think that's really interesting. And I like, uh, I'm just interested in what you think, because it sounds like from that explaining part of that gap by um, what you call kind of I think you said life patterns. What did you call it? Or life? Yeah, yeah, life path. And I think that's interesting because you're distinguishing it. What I like that you're doing here is you're taking that apart from religiosity and also from gender ideology. And I think one thing that we both have learned as we've worked on this issue together is how many, how often those things get conflated when it comes to Muslims, how these things are all wrapped up. Religiosity, gender ideology, you know, um, different kinds of conservatism. But I wonder, though, what you would think then. Do you have a sense of then what is linking people who wear hijab with those certain life paths? Like, is there a way you you that you think about that? Yeah, that's a really good question. That's a great question. And I would love to see um, and to reference my future tombstone. We don't have the data. <laughs> um, but no, I, I actually think, yeah, I think this is a really good question. I think it's possible that I think it's possible that also people get tracked in a particular way, right? So you might be mm. a woman who decided to wear the hijab at a really young age. Mm. Um, by the way, about 40% of Muslim American women wear the hijab just mm. For reference, interesting okay. of, of, of all kinds of Muslim women. Yeah. Oh, interesting. Okay. Wow. American Muslim women in the U.S. Okay. And what's the age range of that in your? Oh, so the, the sample is eighteen. Uh, Muslim okay. women who are adults. Yeah. 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 Interesting. Okay. Great. At any given moment, forty percent or over, or forty percent at some point wear hijabs. Like over the at any given moment, like at the time of the survey. Of the survey. Okay. okay, I got you. Wow. Gotcha. That's right. across age range. Yeah, that's a lot. Yeah, I think that's higher than I would have thought. 
Yeah. 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 Okay. Um, I'd be, yeah. You know, they just released the 2017 data, and I one of my I'm I'm I, I'm I've been meaning to go through and look whether the 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 percentage has stayed consistent. Hmm. Hmm. That'd be interesting. Yeah. So. Where was I? Sorry, I was asking you if you had a sense of the, what the link between the. Oh, and even yeah. if you even if you don't have the data, just again, what your instinct might be, or. So imagine that somebody puts on the hijab when they're seventeen, eighteen, right, yeah. um, or even younger. I mm. put it. I used to wear hijab, and I I wore it at the age of nine. In fact, because all the mm. cool kids were wearing it, and I wanted to be one of the cool kids. I was mm. like, oh. <laughs> Speaking of um, local scenes. Yeah. <laughs> all of your interactions are going to be conditioned by this signifier, right? Mm. Like every interaction mm. that you have, the way that yeah, yeah. You, the way that teachers see you. Uh, the careers that you're encouraged to pursue or discouraged from pursuing, right? right? I think that uh, it's likely that people maybe are getting tracked into mm. a different life path, right? So maybe mm. women are getting married earlier mm. who are wearing the hijab in a right. sense, partially because maybe they're discouraged from pursuing careers more intensively uh, or... Mm. Or they're also maybe seen as more attractive on the marriage market in Muslim settings. Hmm. Um, uh, it, a third explanation could be that they're more likely to be. Um, oh, so one interesting thing is I looked, I, I wanted to see, okay, well, are they all getting married younger because they're actually more likely to be first generation immigrants than women who aren't wearing it, you know? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And I didn't really find that, like I actually find that the rates of wearing the hijab are somewhat consistent across mm. generations. And there was no geographic thing or anything regional there i only have census regions like north okay. east, west south so you you can't really get very specific with that right, um, right, right. what's what i love about what you're saying is that i mean i think we we often joke about or at least i do i, I teach a class called islam and society and we talk about how the hijab is like almost obsessively studied you know in anthropology and sociology and we always have this joke about like every book can be called like preposition plus veil behind the veil mm. under the veil beneath <laughs> the veil you know it's like around the veil you know it's like what are you talking about you know but i think what what i like what you're saying is sometimes that means people want to throw away the entire kind of import of its visibility right yeah. but what you're mm. saying is there's a way to study its visibility that's actually useful if you do it carefully and in this kind of way that's about how someone's life would unfold versus like it's kind of a static signifier of either oppression or tradition or whatever these kind of – I think this is a really great way to think about it. Yeah, and the, and the few people who have looked at like why do Muslim American women wear the hijab when they wear it? I, I know Janan Reed has a paper on this. Yes. Um, and, you know, the, the reasons really vary. Exactly. Conservatism, but it could also just as likely be a political symbol. It could be a symbol of like um, kind of belonging and inclusion. It could be right. like a family tradition. Right. Uh, and we really we don't really have updated knowledge on that. And and so and I, I can tell you that I've looked at the correlation between wearing the hijab and having conservative gender ideology um, in in the Muslim American data, and yeah. it is much. It, there is a correlation, a positive correlation, but. It is much lower than you would expect. Exactly. It is not very. It is not at all a sort of one-to-one -one correlation like that. That the Muslim, the women who are wearing it, are necessarily more conservative. And I like about what you're saying is that essentially it's not just about the woman wearing it, but then what that wearing triggers in other people, including other people in her community, and how those things act back on her. Mm -hmm. And that's much more of a 
I don't want to say qualitative, but it's much more of a, you know, kind of sociological. <laughs> it's true. It's true. Um, but, you know, it, it's, I think that's a much more, that would be a great way to study this, right? Like the hijab kind of in motion versus like, because the problem with it is always seen as a static signifier of like, I remember being in this, in this session and someone said like, what does the hijab mean? And it's yeah. like, well, it means different things to different people, you you know what I mean? Like, yeah, and, you're nine and your older cousin that you worship wears it, and you, right, yeah, and right. you want and, to wear it too, or it means, and not just know. the different people wearing it, but how the different people are seeing it. Yeah, you know what I mean, both proximate to the person and on TV or whatever. So I think yeah, there's just so much in the education literature that, like, how your teachers treat you, how mm. your teachers you, how they invest in you, what signaling you get, especially for women about competence really differs you mm. know or really makes a difference for your outcomes and so um mm. i can imagine that if you are wearing this signifier i mean i not just imagine i've lived that if you're wearing this signifier right you, you know what's really interesting to someone who knows nothing of religion uh, is to hear religion described as a choice that is driven by a sort of instrumental concerns. You know, there's, I think there's a default s assumption in society at large that r people who are religious are religious because they have some type of blind adherence to an ideology that has completely consumed their worldview, you know? Yes. And it's like, they're almost treated as unthinking. And it is yeah. very interesting, and especially Islam, absolutely, especially Islam. <laughs> yep. What's very interesting is to hear religion described. It's almost like a strategy, like a life strategy that you can avail yourself of or not. Yes. And to can you flesh that out for me a bit? Like it's it's very profound, and I'm not fully understanding it. So it's like no, I think it's I think. Well, I just want to say one thing that what you said reminded me of, which is part of why I even got into this was that Paul Lichterman, who teaches at USC, came to UCLA when I was there and gave this talk about something called everyday religion, which is this way of studying religion that's closer to this. And he said, but people think religious people are kind of driven by like texts in their head, which is kind of what yeah. you're saying. And it is amazing. And so I really like what you're saying. I don't like it, but I'm glad you said it because it really yeah. is such a pervasive way of thinking about it. And what drives me crazy is that sociologists who really should know better um, can yeah. often fall prey to this. And it's it's really a shame because there's so much more going on. And I think it almost helps explain a little bit of our quote unquote, like polarization in the US because religious mm -hmm. people are often seen as unthinking. Um, and mm -hmm. it really just doesn't help anybody on either side of that. I mean, of course, there could be some religious people that are unthinking. There could be some liberal people that are unthinking, you know, but, yeah. but but religious people are not unreflective, and it, it's incredible how long you have to make that case just to then finally get into it. But this yeah. is a whole other topic. I think that this is a challenge of, of religion in sociology. And, and and frankly, I mean, from a quantitative perspective, since you know I've I've been wearing that hat in this conversation, um, you know, religion tends to be as a variable assigned at birth, right? Like it it's not most people's religions aren't mobile right like there are people who change religions and and really we see mm -hmm. that a lot especially in christianity where people move to being non-denominational but even those people the majority of them as mike hallett has shown believe right. in god 
which is interesting. But most of us yeah. inherit our religion. But most important, more importantly, we inherit our religious communities. And especially okay. if that religious community is also a minority community and also a minority community that's racialized. Um, religion has a very different valence than just the sort of ideology of what you have in the text. Um, that yeah. becomes almost a very small part of it. And I don't want to say that that part of it that like, I mean, I, I don't want us to feel like, oh, we need to denigrate that part of it in order for religion or religious people no. to be palatable to like a secular, um, mm -hmm. you know, uh, right. order. I think for many people, that part is very meaningful and important. Mm -hmm. um, and as someone who identifies with my religion, it's meaningful and important to me. But yeah, but there is, it is sociological um, for, for, and social. And and what's really frustrating is that you'll see. I remember reading a, a a book by a pretty renowned scholar, a sociologist who studied Islam in Europe somewhere, and he would literally say something like, "We know that Muslims believe X because the Quran says." And there's like a quote, yeah. and it's like, "Wow, <laughs> really?" You know? Um, Have we, you been reading the Quran? <laughs> right. Exactly. It is not Right, right, exactly. But but yeah, just the idea that people don't kind of interrogate these things and wrestle with them and disagree with them. And, you know, it's very hard to find Muslims like any group who agree on, you know, any part of this. But uh, there is this weird assumption that it's it's almost like there's almost like a controlling instinct behind it. If we can just like make sense of this group that's kind of scary to us by understanding one thing about mm -hmm. them, we can kind of, you know, which I guess, you know, we know stereotypes are kind of have a cognitive function in a sense, but yeah, there really is this assumption that um, it's all kind of easily wrapped up in a couple ideas, um, which is it's not the case. And, oh, there's a great piece on this uh, that Mark Chaves has written about the just the inconsistency of religious people, that religious people are constantly like not doing everything they think and changing what they do and not living up to their aspirations. And that's another kind of stereotype, I think, of the religious by the secular is that like, oh, they're all super serious about it all the time and doing everything right. And it's like hardly anyone's doing that. Um, and that's what's kind of interesting about it is when, when kind of what you're saying, Joe, if it's a strategy, when is it implemented? When is it not? When is it you know, come to the, just like people write about identity. When is it salient? When is it mm -hmm. not? It's not like it's always happening all the time, you know? It's also like, it's, it's, it's interesting that the, the bind that you might understand Muslim women to face, because if a Muslim woman wears a hijab and goes out into the community, like it can normalize that because it stops being some abstract thing. And you're like, Oh, there's so-and-so. Yeah, she wears a hijab. And mm. if, so if all Muslim women stop wearing hijabs, it becomes like uh, it, it almost could conceivably prevent the normalization and the integration of your of your community. So it's like a damned if you do, damned if you don't. You're almost pressed to be a martyr in a way, right? Like a job market martyr to <laughs> normalize your community mm. in the eyes of the host culture, the dominant culture, I should say. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And especially if that has whose judgments of Islamophobia is also very gendered, right? Like people don't just hate Islam at large. Like they also think Islam treats women in a particular way, or at least they deploy, um, you know, gender. It's always funny to me when the right does it because I'm like, uh, yeah. <laughs> you know, um, there was a great, um, there was a great one time I, I went to this uh, rally in New York. It was one of those like anti-Sharia um, rallies and we had a counter rally, you know, these like, and, um, and there was a man standing there wearing a shirt that said, um, protect our women and children from the Islamic threat. And then literally like 
a guy standing two feet next to him that wearing a shirt that said "God hates feminism." Take a photo of that. Yeah, I, yeah. I, I posted on Instagram. I was like, "This right here is the right." Like, God yeah. hates feminism, but also we need to protect these women from these Muslims <laughs> who hate women. You know, it's like, oh, yeah. but point is that especially as a muslim woman it's not just that you're a representative because you're a visible member of the minority but also because you're you're a woman and so there's also this mm. like added aspect of um representation that you're supposed to sort of explain why you um you know when i when i sorry now i'm just going on all kinds of tangents no, do it. To- Never, it's not a tangent at all hijab even people that i really respected you know people would pull me aside and be like i'm so proud of you Mm. or like good for you it was like this as if i had like crossed some threshold into Mm. like you know inspiration and i was like what were you thinking of me before like you thought i was was they're like happy assimilation iman (laughs) (laughs) you've made it no but but you must have heard these stories when people come to women hijab and be like you don't have to wear that because your husband's making you, you know, or whatever. Yeah. My, my sister, uh, you know, she got married very young and she wears hijab and, um, and she just, she fell in love and she got married because, you know, she believes in getting married and she lived her life and she was fine. Um, and in fact, my mom was actually against it. She was like, you're too young. Like, what are you doing? Um, mm. But uh, people would pull her aside and they'd be like, Oh, you're married or you're getting me ma- or she people, her coworkers would find out she was getting married. They're like, are you, by choice? Are you happy about it? <laughs> right, right. Blink twice if you need me to. <laughs> right, exactly. Blink twice oh, if you need a white savior. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you just have something in your eye. I don't know if I can't tell. Like, yeah. uh, this is not a Hollywood movie. Like, my life is not a movie. <laughs> oh, man. But I, yeah, yeah. I was, oh, I was just going to say really quickly, one thing I've, just from living here, um, where I do in Abu Dhabi, where, like, many women are wearing hijab kind of all the time, it is amazing how just like spending more time in an environment like that and and we have a lot of students from all over the world which is interesting about being here so many of whom has never lived in a country like this before so they all talk about this how it just it does become just it kind of fades into the background eventually and becomes kind of normalized but there's there's really something to that difference of when it is right just kind of part of oh yeah so-and-so's here they wear hijab so-and-so that you know versus like it's it's just this highly charged kind of symbol so yeah You've been listening to the Annex, a sociology podcast. A special thank you to our guests, John O'Brien of NYU Abu Dhabi, Netta Makbuli from the University of Toronto, and Iman Abdelhadi from the University of Chicago. We're on the web, sociocast.org slash annex, on Twitter at Sociannex, and on Facebook, the Annex Sociology Podcast. Our producer is Lisseth Moreno. Music by Lena Orsa. I'm Joseph Cohen. Thank you for listening.